Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Oh, we say this often, but you know, for me, this is a longtime friend, Larry Boa, about to enter the lounge, and he can talk baseball all damn day. And I'll mention this to him at some point, but I'm like, I used to work with Larry and he would ask me about a, a certain game and a particular play, very intense, um, like detailed discussion about some particular game. And then he would know 10 other things that happened on, on 10 other games at the same exact time. And I'm like, does this guy have like the ultimate, like, you know, man cave operation going on at home where he's got 10 TVs and he's like <laughs> on all of them. So I mean, he's just an incredible baseball mind. The passion, the story is amazing can't wait to get to you know his own kind of michael jordan version of how he got to the bigs yeah oh no there's some unique things <laughs> as far as that we know and hopefully the the our audience will will that doesn't know will be super intrigued to hear some of the 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 you know surprising things that happen as a as a young larry boy but the bottom line that that you know you offer your comment man is that that's why he was kind of like the little general and as a shortstop, you know, and you talk about the spine of the game, the middle of the game, you know, catcher, shortstop, you know, center field. Those are kind of your three quasi-captains. And I, I think he saw the game differently than than anybody else. And and uh, that's, what made, that's what made him great because he was no doubt a great defensive player, but also a leader among some studs, you know, like Schmidt and Luzinski and, and some big guys, Carlton. So it'll be fun to hear about those, those yesteryears of the great Philly teams. Well, let's bring him in, Larry Boa, to the lounge. Baseball lifer and former colleague of mine stepping up in the lounge today. 16 years in the bigs, mostly with the Phillies, over 2,100 hits. Five-time All-Star, two gold gloves, 1980 World Series champ. Also looked up, he hit 375 in that series. He was looking at the playoff numbers, really, yeah, really buddy. successful moments there. A lot of winning. Six-year manager, manager of the year in 2001 with the Phillies. We worked together at MLB Network back in the day, and he's currently in the Phillies front office. He's done it all. Larry Boa inside the lounge, Bo. How's life? Bo! What's up, guys? Uh uh, as you were saying there, I, you know, I've been very blessed, you know, to stay in baseball as long as I have to get opportunities that I've had, uh, especially not getting drafted, not playing high school baseball. I look back on, on my career, the entirety of it. And I got to thank the man upstairs for uh, for letting me be able to do all the stuff that I've done. And I still have a lot of fun doing it. As we speak today, I'm down in uh, Clearwater getting ready for spring training once again. And I'm looking forward to the baseball season to start up real quick. Hey, listen, by the way, uh, Scotty B, um, I worked with Larry before you worked with Larry. And right. the old school MLB on XM radio before it turned into Sirius yep. XM back in the in the mid-2000s, man. Bo, it's good to see you. And um, speaking of back in yesteryear, you know, take us back to, heck, the Sacramento and, and uh, you know, growing up and, and, and being a, a Cali kid who ends up going into all the way into the far east. <laughs> right. Well, you know what, oh, uh, I, I didn't have the opportunity to play high school baseball. Uh, I got cut every year. And, and the reason I got cut, it wasn't because the coach said I wasn't good enough. He said, you're too small. And I was very fortunate to have a dad that played as high as AAA. He managed in the minor leagues. 
for the Cardinals. And he kept telling me, don't worry about size. You know, this is just an obstacle you got to overcome. So being cut those three years, they had a summer league in Sacramento. And I, my dad says, why don't you go out and play? He says, you like playing? So I went out and I started playing. And the junior college coach happened to be scouting for his junior college program. And after a game, I got a couple hits. And he came up to me, he says, uh, I'd like you to come out for my uh, junior college team. I went. I laughed at him. I said, I didn't even make my high school team. I'm going to make the junior college team. And he says, I will give you every opportunity to make this team. We have a good baseball program here. And lo and behold, I made the team. I made all conference two years in a row. We won a championship there. Eddie Bachman, who was a scout for the Phillies at the time, saw me play. And he, uh, uh, when the junior college program started, <laughs> this is going to be funny. He called Paul Owens, who was the farm director. And he says, hey, I got a kid in Sacramento. He can run a little bit. He's got a good arm, good hands. I don't know if he's going to hit, but it's worth a chance. If, if worse comes to worse, he can be an organization type guy. So Paul Owen says, go ahead, watch him a couple games and send me a report in. So we had a doubleheader. It was an exhibition doubleheader in junior college. And the first game of the doubleheader, I got kicked out in the third inning. And the second game, I got kicked out in the second inning <laughs> with the umpire. So... Eddie Bachman, Paul Owens called Eddie Bachman. He says, hey, what'd you say on the kid? And Eddie goes, Pope, that we called him Pope. I, I don't know. And he says, what do you mean you don't know? Do you didn't watch the game? He says, I watched him. But he didn't get past the third inning in either game. Paul Owens <laughs> started laughing. Anyway, they scouted me the rest of the way, and they ended up signing me. And basically, as they say, the rest was history. I, I My first year was in Spartanburg. Then I went to AA the second year. Eugene, Oregon, my third year. And my fourth year, again, uh, been in the right place at the right time. The Phillies were rebuilding. They went with young guys. I made the team out of spring training. And obviously the first couple of months was horrendous. Uh, I was very fortunate. The manager at that time was Frank Lucchese, who had me in double A and triple A. And uh, he knew what I could do. He knew I got off to a slow start and uh, he stuck, he stuck with me. Oh, and uh, eventually everything paid off. I ended up having a good second half and, uh, and had a 16-year career in the big leagues. How about that? I like sweet, peaceful revenge, too. So I have to go back. It's such an outlier story. Bo, did you ever go back? Did you have that moment yeah. with the high school coach where he said, hey, size doesn't matter. Look at me now. You know what, Scott? I didn't. But my nephew, who was Nick Johnson, my sister's boy, who played with the Yankees, mm. first baseman, good hitter. Yeah. Bo probably knows him. Very well. Uh, he was going out for high school. His speech was to them. You know, I've only made one mistake here since I've been a coach here. He didn't know anything about Nick and I being uh, relatives. He says, I cut a guy by the name of Larry Boa, and it was totally a terrible <laughs> move on my part. And I guess after the, the, the workout and everything, Nick went up to him and said, oh, that's my uncle. And then the coach looked at him like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's hilarious. But that, that's yeah. actually make you, you know, had to make you feel pretty good. And yeah, we talk yeah. about that, that, you know. 16-year career, but you're a five-time All-Star, man. And obviously the Golden Glove uh, was, you know, you were so well-known for your, for your defense. And and for a while there, talk about defense, because you guys were jacked. You had Michael Jack, Schmidt yeah, we did. at third. You had yourself had Manny, Manny, short. Manny you Trio. Had, uh, you had Manny Trio. I want to say Rose. for a while there, you had uh, Willie Montanez probably at first base. Willie Montanez. We had Dave Who was Cash a pretty second. damn good first baseman. Real good. Real good. And we had so, Gary Maddox so, in center field, Mick McBride, Greg Lazinski, Bob Boone. Whoa. We 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 had a good baseball team. There's no doubt. But, right know, we throughout had to go, the nine, the 70s, man. Right into you know, the early 80s. As, as you know, oh, you know when you first come up, 
there's a lot of growing pains and we all came up together. We were getting beat up in the early seventies. I'm gonna be honest with you. We, we, right. we didn't hit as a team. We were, we still, you know, when you're first come up there, you, first thing you say is, I wonder if I can play up here. And then after a while we got things rolling in the mid seventies, we started, we started going off. I thought we should have been in more world series, but we played the big red machine in playoffs. We played the Dodgers yeah. in playoffs and we came up short and eventually in 80. We put everything together. Manny Trio, man. I will go back real quick. What, what we, how was it playing with him? Because that arm was oh. ridiculous. Not only was it ridiculous, it where he released the ball from. I mean, down yeah. under with some giddy up on it. Tremendous player. Very underrated player. He's one of those guys you look back on your season in 80. You say, man, if we didn't have Manny, we probably don't win that thing. Mm. But those guys like him and myself and Maddox and McBride, Booney, we weren't superstar players. We were good baseball players. But then you mix in Carlton and uh, Mike Schmidt and Pete Rose. To me, they're all Hall of Fame players. It was a real good team. And then we have Tug McGraw closing. I mean, there, was, there wasn't any weaknesses on that ball club at all. Hey, Bo, how much of an impact did your father have on your game, your baseball IQ? Because you know, we see it's still in the modern game. I would say maybe more than ever, Bo, right? You look at certain players and it's, it's right. so-and-so junior. And they come mm, up, and it's not just the, the baseball IQ. It's also the the instant moxie and the I belong here. And, oh, I've been in this clubhouse before that I, I do really think matters. My dad meant so much to me. He, had, he was the biggest guy that influenced me to keep going. Don't worry about your size. He would take me out of a place called Land Park in Sacramento. He would hit me ground balls. We would hit. But all during the process, he would say, you're going to be the type of player that needs to do Boom, 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 bunt, hit and run, steal a base, don't make mental mistakes, make routine plays. And it kept going. It was very repetitious, but we kept harping. He kept harping on that. He never once forced me to play baseball. I always said, hey, Dad, let's go to the park. And he goes, okay, what are we going to do today? And he would say, you need to hit, learn how to hit the ball the other way. you got to stay in the middle of the field. When they give you the sacrifice bunt, get the bunt down. When you put a hit and run on, put it on the ground. I mean, these were things that, you know, I sort of I'm looking forward to this year in baseball because I think a lot of those fundamentals are going to return with no no uh, sw uh, uh, a shift on. You're going to yes. have to do certain things, bigger bases. Maybe you'll be able to steal more bases. I think the fundamentals of the game are going to come back a little bit. And I think that's going to be very good for baseball. But my dad was always there. Um I don't think anybody was more excited on the last out of the 80 world series than my dad, you know, uh, I mean, tears in his eyes. And, uh, but to have that kind of back, back up my whole career, even when I got to the big league, if you're in an 0 for 14 or 0 for 15, he calls and say, Hey, you got to hang in there. Keep battling, keep battling. I mean, he always words of encouragement, no matter how bleak things look. And I look back on that and without that kind of support, who knows if I'd ever played in the big leagues. I mean, uh, uh, again, playing in the big leagues is a great opportunity, but you have to be lucky. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Things have to unfold for you and everything happened in the right way for me. I think the biggest thing my dad was really proud of before we got to the world series, I don't know if it was 76 or 77 or 78 in my mind, I'm a little older now, but I came in third in the MVP voting in the national league. Garvey and Parker were ahead of me, and I came in third. And and I and oh, I wasn't a like a tile guy. I didn't no. get any home runs. And <laughs> but impact third though. against those guys that whacked it out of the ballpark. I'm probably most proud of that, other than winning the World Series. But I look back on Garvey and Parker. I'm saying, man, I come in third with that. 
that was pretty special. But, uh, you know, at that time, they, they incorporated everything when they voted, how important the guy was to the team, even though he didn't hit home runs. But he was a key guy in the defense. He moved runners. He stole bases. So, you know, looking back on that, I think that was uh, – that was, that You was make a great point, though. And, and I think, Bo, if you think about it, I, I want to say early 80s, maybe it might have been 82 or so, when uh, Willie McGee shared the MVP – Right. You know, and again, that type of a player, he only hit 10 home runs that year. He did drive right. in like 110. Right. But he did so many other small parts of the game, you know, yeah. stole, you know, stole a myriad of bases, scored runs, played great defense. So I, I appreciate you saying that that the game may come back to that because, yeah, they are trying to push it that way again. Even right. speeding up the pitcher, I right. think, is going to speed up the game and make more strategies um, come about. Um, but speaking of just great players, that decade of the 70s in the National League was yeah. dramatic. I, I was yeah, we, growing up then. I was right. 10, 11, 12, and just the Reds, um, you know, the Pirates, you yeah. guys with the Phillies. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like every national team was pretty much stacked in, yeah. in, in the 70s. Uh, for, yeah, for Talk a little bit about that era. Yeah, there's no question. And the pitching was outstanding. I mean, I, I faced guys like Seaver. I faced guys like Gibson. I faced guys like J.R. Richard, who, uh, to me, looking back on J.R. Richard's career, if he didn't get involved in drugs or have the stroke, he might have shattered. I mean, right. shattered every single pitching record in baseball. I mean, this guy was a true talent, overpowering stuff. But, but you look back on those teams, the Dodgers always have good pitching. The Pirates, uh, we are family. Uh, I mean, it was it was more of a pitcher's league. Pitching defense was important. Yeah. I mean, you still have the guys like Schmitty and and Stargell and Parker. Those guys hit their home runs, but there wasn't like fifty home runs. It was thirty to forty. Uh, and I think, and, and you can relate to this though. I don't think pitchers back then would allow someone to hit fifty. They'd be no. Those guys had a different mentality. Uh, yeah. They were mean on the mound. Not only were they good they were mean and they took a lot of pride in, in, and when they faced a guy like yourself, who hits a lot of home runs, they weren't afraid to come inside a couple of times in a row. And if they hit you, Oh, well, uh, and, and there was no looking back and, you know, and I, and I've made adjustments up. Uh, there was no huge bat flips or anything like that because the pitcher didn't like that, but I get right. it. The game's changed and it's sort of entertaining now. Um, but and you I know what? I'm going to follow up. I'm going to ask you a question about that era because, it's a catch-22, Bo, because in one sense, one of the reasons that they were able to do that, I think, looking back at it objectively as a young kid and then coming in and my career being in the 80s and 90s, right. is um, that because of the lack of free agency and, and moving and jumping around, you ended up creating these four or five teams that were just dynasties, right? You're right. Uh, you You're know, right. and so then there was a lot of protect. Doggy was going to protect. You know, Don Sutton and Seaver right. and, right. and Raleigh Eastwood and right. you and, and Schmidt were going to protect anybody pitching for right. your guys. And, right. uh, and now you have free agency, which you wanted to come about because right. players then in, it fostered in in the 80s, started making some serious money already into the 90s. And now so that's a catch 22. But it, it I is. loved that 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 familial kind of thing that that you guys had. I, I think the big thing, oh, as, as you just stated. Players move every year. They're, they're, they had the same agents. Uh, and back then, you know, like you said, the Phillies knew who was coming up before we even got there. 
it was <laughs> a core group of guys. There was Boone, there was Schmitty, there was me, there was Lazinski. There were guys that came up through the organization. They knew everything about you before you even played one game there. Now I think because of free agency, fans don't get to know what's down there in the minor leagues unless you're a tremendous superstar player down there. And that continuity, it, it, it sort of filters its way to you because we learned how to win in the minor leagues. You know, and as you, you know, there's a, there's a knack of knowing how to win. And all us guys came up and we won an A ball. We won a double A. We won a triple A. And then we had to take our, our lumps when we came to the big leagues. But the fact that we were together for so long in the minor leagues, we dealt with it. You know, we took our lumps. We said, okay, we're going to get beat up here a little bit because we're all young. And then eventually we got to do the beating up and, uh, and have our way. But it, there is a difference. There's no question about it. I like these guys that play now. They're great athletes. Uh, the velocity that you see on the mound is tremendous. Uh, when I see a hitter hit over 300 a whole year, I take my hat off to him because he's not facing a guy four times. He might be facing them twice. Then these relievers come in, faces them once, and another guy once. That's as you well know. That's hard to do as a hit. Yes, to face four yes. different pitchers every single night. Back when we played, pitchers went eight, nine innings. You faced, you got your three or four at bats against a certain yep. individual. How about manager life versus also your transition to your current role with the Phillies? You know what we like to do, also, Bo on the show is talk about life after your playing days because many players are lost and many players are completely found where they're like, I've been waiting to do something. You've always been a guy that wants to stay around the game and you've had a really wonderful career post-playing. I've always wanted to stay in baseball, whether it be working at the minor leagues, whether it be holding clinics, whatever it was, Scotty. I, uh, I knew when my time was up, I got traded uh, my last year in close to September to go to the Mets. They were in a pennant drive, so they picked me up. And at the end of that, uh, Frank Cashin, who was a GM then, he says, I want you to come back as a utility player. And I said, well, let me think about it. I had never played utility. I always played every single day. And there were some balls when I was playing there in the last month or so that I knew I should be catching. Maybe they were, I, my step was a little slower, right? It couldn't get good jumps. And I told him, I, eventually I said, I don't want to do this. I, I, I've, I've had a good career. I want to walk away from this. I don't want to hang around and, and be embarrassed. And lo and behold, uh, as soon as I retired, Jack McKeon, who was with the San Diego Padres, I get a call out of nowhere asking me if I want to be a AAA manager with no experience managing. And that team was the Las Vegas Stars. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to go to Las Vegas. <laughs> I took the job. I mean, and uh, we won the championship. You know, if I could turn the clock all the way back, uh, as soon as we won the champion, Jack, Jack says, I want you to be my manager in San Diego. And, you know, guys, when someone says, I want you to be a manager in the big league, you're not going to say, ah, I think I need two more years here. I, I, I can't turn this job down. So I went there and I had a lot of young kids. I had Benito Santiago. I had Croc. I had the Alamar. I had a great young group. And again, we took some beatings and they came to the point where when I first took the job, they said, don't worry about winning. Just get developed these guys. I said, fine. And after the first year, then uh, the, the owner says, hey, we need to start winning games. And Jack comes to me and says, you got to start. I said, Jack, we're right in the process of letting these guys play. And obviously it didn't work out. But if I had my druthers, I would have loved to have told Jack, let me do two more years or at least another year in the minor leagues. Um, but it was a good experience. There's no question about that. It was a great experience. And then that led me to coaching in Philly. 
And then eventually I end up coaching third base for Joe Torrey, end up coaching third base for Lou Pinella. And then eventually got the job in Philly in 2001 when, when I took over that team. Uh, nothing against Terry Francona. He's a Hall of Fame manager. It was a terrible team. He lost 100 games and they got rid of him. And they said, you got to come in here and change the attitude here. And I was pretty successful doing that. Uh, those four years, we were every every game, we were over 500. We a couple games close to getting the playoffs. And eventually, as the old saying goes, we need another voice. And then Charlie came in, and to this day, Charlie says, man, you, you groomed these guys for me. And they got a couple players. And then that team, you know, with Jimmy and Chase and Ryan Howard, uh, they came on and did tremendous things. But the journey along the way was very exciting. I learned a lot of things through that journey. And once I got done with uh, the Phillies, that's when Joe asked me, uh, I went to MLB, then Joe says, hey, I want you to be my uh, third base coach. I said, man, the Yankees. I went there with Joe, and then when he went to L.A., I went there. And then Lou Pinella called me and wanted me to be the third base coach for the Seattle Mariners. So I got to work under some guys that I respect more than anything in the world, great baseball people, taught me even as I look back, as long as I've been in the game, playing under those two guys or coaching, I should say, they taught me a lot about the game of baseball. I tell you, I'm glad you mentioned 2001 because, you know, and you forgot to mention that you won manager of the year, oh, by the way, Bo. Um, so that's a pretty darn big thing. But, but but I remember that time and and it was almost like you were the Tony Dungy to John Gruden. You know what I mean? Tony yeah. was here in Tampa <laughs> and, and kind of created the atmosphere and these great players that were about to chomp at the bit. And then, you know, here comes Gruden, takes them right to the Super Bowl. Right. And they win the next year, and everybody's Gruden, Gruden, Gruden. Nothing against Charlie. Man, was, right. I love Charlie. And, and Charlie too. was just on our show just a, a little while ago. But but right. you groomed those guys. I do want to ask you this. So, Sacramento kid, even though you're always a tough guy, you know, because you know him <laughs> for being feisty. But this Cali, how was it kind of adjusting to Philly, who uh, oh. can be a tad tricky but uh tell me about the player and managing it was really difficult because i had no idea about philly about how avid <laughs> the fans were uh, i had never left sacramento uh, and all of a sudden i go to spring training and my goal was to make this class a team spartanburg south carolina uh i wanted to be make the team i didn't think about starting i just if i can make this team this would be great well i not only made it but i was a starting shortstop and uh, my very first game, I wasn't switch hitting then. So uh, obviously I had a decent spring. My very first game, the one thing I could do, I put the ball in play. Uh, regardless of who was pitching, I, I, I could battle and put it in play. So my very first game, I strike out four straight times. And I'm mm. sitting in my locker and the manager was Bob Wellman. And he says, are you all right? My head was down. I said, yeah. I said, I said, I called him Skip. I said, Skip. If baseball, professional baseball is like this, you guys might want to give me a plane ticket back to Sacramento because I have no chance here. And he says, this guy's going to be special. And I'm thinking, you know, manager, looking back, he's trying to get me motivated. He said, hey, this guy's going to be special. Don't worry about it. I said, okay. Well, the guy happened to be Nolan Ryan. And I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who struck you out four times? Oh, four times. I had no chance. Yeah, well, then no right wonder. Going 98 miles an hour. I'm going, oh my God, what am I doing here? Are they all uh, like that? Bo's thinking, are they all like this? Got to be. That's exactly like what I thought. Cause I didn't know Nolan Ryan from anybody. I'm saying, <laughs> man, if this, all this pitching like this, I got no chance to get any hits. But I look back on that 
And Nolan, you know, I did a couple speaking engagements with him, and he always brings up, hey, I remember Larry Bowler the first time I faced him. Well, you know, I struck him out four times. And then eventually, eventually, I mean, I faced him numerous times. Right. But in 1980, that big game in Houston, they were at five to two in the seventh inning. And when he has a lead, the numbers were off the charts. And I remember Pete Rose says, get on here. We're going to beat this guy. And I'm going, I hope you're right. I got a base hit to start the inning. We ended up tying the game on him. And wow. ever since then, I, my speech was, Nolan got me early. I got him late. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got him in the ones that really counted. Yeah, yeah I did. I got the ring. And that, you know, I, I do. Exactly. I watched his documentary. And he says, the only year he was disappointed was 1980. He says, I thought that the, mm. the Houston Astros should have won that World Series. And he said that was on him. But that guy was a tremendous. That was the uh, that was the 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 Mike Scott, uh, Mike, Nolan, uh, Nolan. Uh, they had Forsh. They 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 had a good oh they had they Ken Forsh. They had uh, wow. yeah they were Terry stacked. Poole. Oh, they, they Bob Watson. Team. Bob They had a great team. They were and, stacked uh, to go in there every game in that in that series, with the exception of the first, it was a five game series. Was all extra innings. It was a tremendous game. And I'm not mistaken. Nolan, not only not only beat Nolan, but Beat him in Houston was something special. Was that the series, the infamous series that that Mike Scott won MVP, even though they he lost? No, Mike Scott didn't win MVP. I'm it, trying to it, think who won MVP. Manny Trio, no. I think, won that MVP there. Okay, Scotty yeah. B, am I not right? Am I right? Mike Scott won an MVP I, later on. I think yeah, I think was he 80. was MVP when they played the Mets. Yes, that's what yeah. it was. Eighty six. Yeah. Yeah. That he ended up winning the MVP of the division, right. division series, right, uh, or, or championship series, even though they did not win. Exactly, go move on. That's how good that knucklehead was with yeah. that split finger. Well, uh, was uh, you know to this day, I mean, that ball moved quite a bit for knucklehead. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe <laughs> that's uh, another man. story, man. That's another story that's that we're gonna have yeah. to yeah. delve into. There were quite a few of those guys in that, yeah, time, in that era. Yeah, they, they were. <laughs> I will say this, though, that minor league Nolan Ryan story probably can't happen, not can't, but doesn't happen anymore because no. we know who the top prospects are, you know? Right. For example, if, you know, Garrett Cole is working his way through the minor leagues, guys not only get up for that, but they all, they're talking about it. And even in the right. minors, you get scattering reports, hey, this guy's the top prospect in the sport. Like, right. You're not getting away with that like no. you did when you were playing. So right. it, Nolan Ryan almost crushed. Crush your dreams or probably crush some other minor oh, league dreams for oh, someone who comes up to the to uh, no, say there, a ball and they're like, wait, this? Right, there, there's no question. Well, I didn't know Nolan Ryan from Joe Schmo, and I don't think anybody did. But right. and, and the you know at the time when you when you come from Sacramento, California, and and you go into a place like Spartanburg and or Greenville where we played, and you think, oh, this is beautiful. The lights. I look back on that, and they were like. Looking back, they were like candles, and this guy's throwing hooks, fastballs <laughs> at 98. And, uh, you know, the, in that season, we won 26 games in a row, Spartanburg, and then we lost one or two. Then we won another 13 in a row. So we had an oh. unbelievable baseball team, and, and that's how I got doctrinated into playing on a good baseball team. Then we took it to AA and AAA. But getting back to O's question, man, when I first went up to Philly, and we, I was very – fortunate because i'm glad i got to play at connie mac it was the last year at connie mac at the, and the, the where the stadium was located it was wasn't a real good area in fact i pulled up my car the very first day this is going to be funny to you guys and this <laughs> guy I, I parked my car and the guy goes you got five dollars and i went for what and he says well if you want this car after this game you're gonna have to <laughs> i so i pulled out five bucks i gave him five because if you didn't give him money your tires were gone everything so not only did I give him $5, then I go in to get ready to go in the clubhouse. The, 
And the guy says, uh, name. And I says, I'm with the Phillies. He goes, yeah, so am I. And I said, I'm Larry Boa. And, and, you know, I was small. And he says, I need some ID. So I had to pull out my wallet <laughs> and show him that, I, that, that my name was Larry Boa. I was on the roster. And he says, okay. He finally got to know me. But he, he, said, he looked he at me. He wasn't going to let yeah, you I'm, in. I'm, I, I play for the Phillies, too. And he started laughing. I said, I'm serious. That's so I had to pull out my ID to get in. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I mean, my first like shocking experience of, of Philly fans <laughs> was when I was with the Pirates and we're playing the Phillies. And this is, I want to say it might have been Michael Jack Schmidt's last year, maybe uh-huh. uh, 88, 89. When, and then he kind of retired uh-huh. right in the middle of the season. I, right. mean, I think you guys right. were in San Diego when he just said, right. I'm done. And I'm at first base. I'm just so excited to be playing against Mike Schmidt. Right. right, and one of my, you know, him, Parker, Reggie, Tony Perez, you know, Hank Aaron, the big boys, yeah, top five. I mean, big, big, big swinger, home run, you know, yeah. home run strikeout, and um, he gets on early in the game and walks, and I'm just, you know, just happy to be just next to him, trying to pay attention to the damn game <laughs> while I got Mike Schmidt next to me. Then he strikes out a couple times, and they start booing oh. him. Oh, yeah. And he had 550 some home runs, and I'm the first base. Scotty B, you understand. I mean, I'm such a historian and lover of this game and the history of it, that I was looking at these fans and going, like, you can't. I'm under my breath at first base playing for the Pirates. I'm going, you can't boo Mike Schmidt. You just don't do that. I wanted to get a you, megaphone you, and say, but they, that's just the way they are. I mean, they'll they, love you. You know what? They didn't, really appreci- they didn't really appreciate Mike towards the end of, until the end of his career. And obviously now when he goes back, he gets standing ovations. I mean, he was the greatest player ever in Philly history. And they're tough. They are tough. But I will say this. If you give them effort every day and they know you're, this is a blue collar city. There's no question it about it. It is. And you hustle and you play hard and all that. I'm not going to tell you they're not going to boo you. They're going to boo you no matter how good you are. <laughs> right. but, but, I love you saying but that. They will. When you do some good, like, you like we won that World Series anywhere we go, even to this day, they'll oh, carry it. Come on, come on in. You go to a bar, let me buy you a drink. Yeah, you know, it's it's unbelievable when you do something good. The passion that they have, right? The, the passion is unbelievable. And I, I try to tell these young kids coming up, give a hundred percent. Don't listen. They're booing when you strike out with the bases loaded. If you take it personal, I know when you come up, you do take it. They're booing the Phillies that they didn't score runs. They they don't care less what your name is. We want runs when the bases are loaded and there's two outs. I want you to drive the runs in. But you got to understand the fans. And, and if you let them know that, hey, I get it. I get it. You guys are very critical when we do things bad, but you're also very genuine and real when we do things good. So you got to take the good with the bad. And I believe in my heart that if I didn't play in Philadelphia, I might not have played a long time in the big leagues. They made you concentrate. They made you get ready for the game. They made you hustle. And to this day, it's the same feeling you saw in the playoffs last year. They came out in groves. I mean, it was loud. And I think that definitely motivated our ball club. And we moved on. And eventually we came up short. But uh, looking ahead to this year, I think this is going to be a very good and exciting year for the Phillies. They respect accountability, too. I mean, the yes, famous they do. Alec Bones They don't story, want to hear right? excuses. The way... they, no, they no. They do not want they to hear don't. excuses. If you have a bad game, Kyle Schwarber was great. If he struck yeah. out four times, he went to the mic and says, you know what? I'd boo too. I stink. They love that. <laughs> they don't want to hear, oh, what's well, something got in my eye on a suit. 
And, and Schwab was unbelievable. He went to the microphone every game, win, lose, or draw, 0 for 4, 4 for 4, four strikeouts, three home runs. Uh, he's an unbelievable leader on that team, and they love that stuff. Do you think that they, yeah, they gets, loved you? I wanted to ask him real quick. Do you think they loved you? Because you were feisty before you got to Philly. So it wasn't right. like Philly and the Philly right. attitude right. and the Philly cheesesteaks made you feistier. <laughs> you were you were already feisty. You already told us the story. You got thrown out in two doubleheaders. Right. Or in a doubleheader. Right. So you think that they really appreciated your feistiness and how you know passionate you played the game? I, I think they appreciated the effort and they appreciated that I wasn't a big dude. I was a small guy. They liked those those feel good stories. Oh, the odds were stacked against you. You didn't make, you didn't get drafted. Out all the people that got drafted, you were, you, you didn't even get a nod that way. And to see that, you know, through the course of my my career, continue make all star teams, play in a World Series, win Gold Gloves. Uh, they appreciate that stuff. Uh, if I was a big, and I think that's the biggest thing against Schmidt. He had all that natural ability, man. He could do everything. Whatever you – any kind of ball you put in Schmitty's hand, basketball, baseball, bowling ball, golf ball, this guy could do anything. And they saw that he could do it effortless. And sometimes they said, oh, he's not trying. Believe mm. me, he tried every single game, but he, he was such a great athlete. Their expect, expectations were a lot higher on him than anybody else in Philadelphia. Hey, uh, oh, by the way, you know, when I was looking through Larry's uh, biography and resume and all that, and I worked with him, you know, quite a bit sure. many years back for a couple seasons, but, you know, there he did have an autobiography released, it looked like in the late 80s, and I was okay. just cracking up while I was looking back the uh, the description. <laughs> Larry Bo looks back on his major league career, offers his views on managing, and discusses his confrontations with umpires. <laughs> just a little sidebar it's, and the many conversations it's all tying together here you know like, yeah, it's stuck in a couple you know yeah. a couple ejections why not i mean both fiery but i i will say this um oh for me you know it was my early days at, at mlb network and um and bo was there frequently and and he's watching every game the night before coming in that he was the most knowledgeable guy sometimes yes he knew so much about multiple games going on and I was like, do you have, you know, four Larry Bowes here? He would, there's four, seven o'clock games. It's like, he knows every pitch of each game. I was like, how the hell is that possible? The, yeah. the recall, I mean, you know, there's both people have told you the recall you have, right. You could probably go back to, to playing days or even just random games that you've watched and bring up such specific scenarios, right? Like I, I remember, you know, it'd be September and he'd be like, remember that play on May 5th? when so-and-so did this like it was it was like nothing so we we definitely missed you when you left <laughs> well you know what's guy i i'm what you call uh and o knows him uh if you know he remembers don zimmer I, i'm a baseball rat. yes yes uh i love baseball i'll never get tired of watching baseball and people say well, what about the way the game's played now that i'll be honest with you at the beginning i didn't like some of the stuff but you know what time times change and it, the players are different they're great athletes there's no question about that uh, pitchers are different. Uh, and I guarantee most pitchers, starting pitchers, if you ask them behind the scenes, hey, is that all you want to pitch is five innings? They're going to say, no, I want to go eight or nine. But they've sort of rolled with the punches. They understand. Give me five innings, we'll go to the bullpen. You know, of course, you have your elite pitchers that take you deeper in the game. But for the most part, you're asking guys to go five or six innings. I guarantee they don't want to do that. But, again, they've made adjustments, and that's the way the game has sort of evolved right now. Um it's different. Uh, 
is it bad? At first I thought it was bad, but now I watch it. Hey, that's the way the game's played. I like the fact that there's not going to be any shifts this year. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, because you're, you're at MLB, because I'm sort of mm-hmm. thinking about thinking down the line here. If you get a guy like Schwarber, who's a dead pool hitter, and we're going to have two guys on each side of the on each side of the uh, bases at second. Can you do this? You put a, a outfielder on left center, put one in right center, and that third outfielder, put him on the grass out there. Can you do that? They're on the they're not on the dirt. You understand what as I'm saying? As far as I, I'm taking away the lines. I, yeah, as far as I know, Bo. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's I, I would say the biggest misconception about that rule that's coming up this season is that when I speak to some people, whether they're casual fans or they watch somewhat frequently, they think all of the maneuvering and shifting is going to be gone. No, 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 no. This is shift restrictions. And this could be on a a highway, a pathway to where we get even more restrictive, but Mm -hmm. we're starting there. There's still plenty of different setups that you're going to see, right? As soon as you get to spring training, I'm sure the Phillies have already drawn up 80 different scenarios of how they're going to play guys, right? So the answer, as far as I know, is is yes you got three outfielders on the grass you're okay wherever the heck they want to stand there's no outfield right. shift restrictions as far as right. I know. no there's not so that's going to be i guarantee some of these managers are going to do that they're going to give a big power hitter give them the line down left field put the left fielder in left center put the right fielder in right center and get that rover whoever you want put him out there like it's a shift but he's going to be on the grass so uh, it's going to be interesting to see you know, the, the manager, especially some managers have been around a while, like that Showalter and Bochi and Dusty, those yeah. guys, uh, you know, they're going to be ahead of the curve here. Now they're going to be thinking along those lines also. Um, speaking of managers, some great ones, you know, while you were playing and, um, you know, who, 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 like when you, as you were getting towards the end of your career and you spoke about like, yeah, you wanted to stay in the game, but there's yeah. certain managers that you kind of, <laughs> remember or keyed on and and you know the 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 bobby Coxes of the air of the day he, or, oh, you know, bobby, no question he came in later on a little more he was kind of playing almost at your at the same time but right who, who was it that influenced you bobby cox and there's no question what, what was big influence I, you know I, and i played for a guy like uh, davy johnson for a couple of, uh, not a couple yeah. of years but in, in new york uh I watched Chuck Tanner manage the, the We Tanner. Are Family a team, a yeah. tremendous guy. I used to watch uh, uh, Earl Weaver manage. I loved to watch it. Well, I <laughs> Talk Billy about getting Martin thrown out. Great. Getting thrown I out. I Billy huh? Martin it was kicking dirt and everything. I, I, I used to love watching that stuff. And uh, But Gene Mock, I go all the way back. Gene Mock, I was, that was the first my first year at the big league camp was, was with Gene Mock. And uh, his favorite line was <laughs> – he saw me field ground balls. He saw me run. He saw me throw. And I guess a writer asked him, I was taking BP. And he says, what do you think of Boa? He says, uh, I like him. He says, but I can't hear him when he gets in the batting cage. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, he didn't yeah. say that, Boa. Wow. Yeah, he did. But, you know, I mean, that's how it was back in the day. Uh, you know, when you made a mistake or something in the field, there wasn't, you know, like today, if you want to uh, reprimand a player, it's behind closed doors or – you know, you do it be when no one's watching. Back the, then, agent will, the, the agent will call the manager and say, what did you say to my player today? Exactly. <laughs> you, you didn't do any of that stuff back then. I mean, uh, they would if, if you were a second baseman and there was a bunt play on, you didn't cover first. That guy was at the top step saying, hey, what are you doing? In front Waiting of for you. That's Waiting job. for you, you to come in. 
Right. Exactly. Remember, remember Billy waiting for Reggie when he came in that well, one yeah, time? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like waiting that, for him. There was account accountability. And now, yeah. if you did that now, man, I would have to say you, you'd have a good chance if you were the manager of getting fired. It, it, that's yeah. how the game changed. I mean, players are a little bit more uh, – I don't want to use the word temperamental. I don't want no. to use the word soft. They've been raised a different way. That's and it. You can communicate with them, but That's it's it. got to be. I don't think they're soft. Yeah. No, I don't think at all they're soft. And I don't think no. they're no. even temperamental. I just think that they've just been allocation. It's just a different way of life. And right. So, you know, I mean, you you're going to play with what is the cards. The cards, right. the 54 cards are different now. No question. And your agent does get involved a lot. No and it, it, and some heavy players are calling the shots. You know, think oh, yeah. about in any sport, LeBron. You know, uh, just just. Well, I mean, even, even on our team, uh, Harp Harp makes. You know, I'm not saying he makes trades or anything, but he suggests to Dave. Sure, this guy be he, good for our team. Dave makes all the calls. There's no question about that. But when you have a superstar like Harper, and he knows people like a Trey Turner or Schwarber, and and Dave might say, hey, "What do you think this guy will fit in good here?" And he go, "Oh yeah," or he might say a certain player, uh, I don't think he'd be good here. But, I mean, that's that's the way the game has sort of evolved. You're superstar yes, players, and there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you nope. know as a player, hey, I think these guys can help our team. I think they're great in the clubhouse. And you you pass that information on to your, your president of operations, Dave Dombrowski. I think that's great. Yeah. Hey, buddy, uh, this has been wonderful. But I got, I got that one last question. Uh, no way, Jose, question for me. And there's got to be something okay. zany that happened. You remember, and you you played with some zany players. Uh, you know, give me give me something on and off the field that you remember that stood out. God, that's a uh, so many probably. Off, right? Hey, keep it semi clean, you, but you I'm don't got to be that clean. Story. I'm going to give you a story <laughs> off the field, not off the field. The game was over. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm going to give you two stories, and they're both tremendous hitters. First one, right. when I was managing in San Diego, Tony Gwynn went zero for four, and. After the game, that very seldom ha didn't happen, as you well know. But after the game, I'm driving to my house in San Diego. And every night when I drive by off the freeway, there's a batting cage with lights. And this particular night, it's usually closed after a game. I see the lights and I said, you know what? I'm going to go in here. Tony Gwynn was hitting in these batting cages at 1030, 11 o'clock at night. And I pulled my car up and I went, T, what are you doing? He, he owned the batting cages. He oh says, God. oh, he says, that was terrible tonight. I went, oh, my God. You went 0 for 4. You're out here at 10, 30, 11 o'clock hitting balls at night. And as I, as I left, I'm saying, no wonder this guy's such a great hitter. And then the other one is Pete Rose at the vet. Game over. He didn't get any hits. When we all walk out, there's an elevator there. And then past the elevator, the batting cages were down there. And I hear a whack, whack, whack. So I walk down there, Pete Rose is hitting. And I look back on those and I look at two players that probably were the great, I'm not talking about power here. I'm greatest hitters in baseball. Just pure. And pure hitters. And I look back at that and I'm saying, that is unbelievable. Players like that, they got well over three, Pete got 4,000 hits, but over 3,000 hits. They have a bad night at the plate. They go down before before Pete in particular didn't even take his uniform on because it was at the stadium. Tony took a shower and then went and did it. But I look back at those two things, oh, and I'm saying there's a reason that greatness is there. There's a reason that dedication is there, the competitiveness. And uh, I just to this day, I tell those stories and people go, are you kidding me? And I went, no, I'm dead serious.
Wow. That is that's incredible. It, yeah. That, that, no, that's, and that's, that's there's the, a modern uh, version of that. I mean, there's many, right? I've heard many, but like one of the ones that was publicized frequently, right? It's like Alex Bregman, you know, right. for, for yeah. years. And this uh, undersized, I know you appreciate him, right? Undersized no player. And going back to his college days, they're like, it's midnight. And he's like, hey, can someone leave the lights on for me so I can take more swings, it, right? I mean, that's the good shit. And you know what, Scott? Those guys, those guys, they could have played 40 years back. They could yep. play 40 years ahead. They could play now. Those guys, it doesn't matter what era. They're going to be able to play in that particular year right now. Bregman's unbelievable. I watched that guy. He's definitely, you know, we call it old school. Uh, uh, he's an old school guy that you look at. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Harper's an old school guy. You watch Schwarber's definitely an old. Oh, school guy. Kyle's love. I love that. I mean, kid. this guy. Uh, what, what what amazed me about Schwarb this past year is his leadership qualities, off the charts. You don't teach that. Uh, he came in from a different organization. He's never been here. He doesn't even know what Philly's about, and he just took over the clubhouse. He took over the city. Uh, those are kind of guys that you need in the clubhouse. And it doesn't mean you have to hit 300. If you go about your business every day and put in the time and the effort and you take command of that clubhouse, that means so much. As, as oh, as you well know, you get a guy like that in your locker room, it, 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 it speaks volumes of how successful you're going to be. And they will play, those guys, those handful of guys you're talking about, would play for 40000 400000 or $40 million. <laughs> You're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's right. That's hey, you've thing. got it. You've got a good group, Bo, this year. Have, have fun. Yeah, we do. You're going to have some fun yeah. this year. You know it. Yeah, but yeah, I do. Enjoy and and there's one guy, you know, we talked about guys coming up. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you've already heard of him. I know you have. But keep an eye on Painter. This guy's yes. a real deal, man. Uh, I've watched him in the minor leagues because, you know, my job, when they're at home, I go to all of the, the, the home games. And when they're on the road, I go watch our minor leaguers. Nice. And this guy caught my attention real quick. Uh, he's a real deal. I haven't uh, seen him, but I've heard oh. him. You're you're gonna see him. Oh, you're gonna go. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's really good. Legit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. This nice. is top end stuff. Yes. So, and that's uh, where you know if you're paying attention to Phil's transactions, they look good this off season. But this guy's been in the system, waiting to go, waiting to explode. Oh, no so question. It's coming. Nice. I'm with you. I'm a big prospect nice. guy. Bo, you're the man. Can talk for Rays hours. will beat him. Really Rays will beat him. Rays will beat him in six games, though. I'm sorry. That's the way it's going oh, to happen in the world. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to keep my fingers crossed for our team because I think we're going to – I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for your team because there's, there's a lot of good teams in the American League. But oh, my God. This, the Rays have a way of they always do, hanging in there and it's being sick. competitive, which I admire. They don't go out and spend big-time money on system. payroll. Pitching. That's a good organization. All right, Bo. Thanks, hey, buddy. Bo, hey, guys, you're great. Pleasure. We really and, appreciate uh, it. I love watching you guys on MLB, and I'll continue to watch. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Of course. Okay. Right back at you. Go Phils this year, right? All right. Take care, guys. Oh, I can tell why Bo is one of your favorites because, I mean, his – experience in the in the game spans so many decades at this point right like he can go way back with you then he can also break down you know almost any swing or scouting evaluation of any player in the game today and he is that engaged I mean the guy is still an absolute whatever you want to call it baseball junkie a great mind in the game and I actually I feel like he can really connect still with the younger audience as well. You know, like he, he hangs out with a player and he's just got this authenticity to him 
as a human being that makes him for me one of my favorite baseball guys to have a conversation with no doubt i think you're right on you're spot on scotty b because um he is connected with the game today and obviously is a feisty old school guy so he really is the best of both worlds and and gets how the transition and the transformation of major league baseball has gone over let's say the last 30 to 40 years and and every decade there has been a, a paradigm you know shift if you will to certain things we're, we're, we're heading into and in, in the midst of one right now. Right. And, and um, I love it. And, and hence one of, one of the reasons he was a American a national league manager of the year. I, I think I could have seen him managing longer, honestly. Um, and he's very, very proud of, uh, of his current Phillies and, and uh, how close they came, you know, in 2022. So I know that he's, uh, he's pulling for them uh, this season and, and expecting a lot. Let me get you a little this week in baseball action. First, we'll go back. We'll go to the 60s, Feb 27, 1962. An architect offers a proposal to encase Candlestick Park in a plastic screen saran cloth to shield it from the wind. I didn't get the rest on here, so I'm just guessing that (laughs) it it didn't happen. (laughs) That did not happen. No, no, because I I got to play in Candlestick. I had some really good games at Candlestick, actually. I had some, some, you know, the wind aided me, I think, a few times. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll take it because it was weird. And uh, you and I have talked about it before, how the fog could literally, you could watch it set in and then leave after an inning or so. And then you'd be there in the third inning, it'd be fine. And in the sixth, it'd be freezing. It really, really weird and eerie, kind of like surreal cosmic place. But no, they they couldn't pull that off. And, um, I, you know, it was really a pleasure to, to play there. It was one of the weirdest and coolest places to have played a baseball game. And I got one more for you. Feb 27, 2006, Roger Clemens sends a little brushback message to his own 19-year-old son. Kobe <laughs> slammed a home run off dad. It was Astros minor league camp. Kobe's training there. Roger's training there, too. He's prepping for the World Baseball Classic. He's not officially with the Astros. He's just uh, doing his thing there. And uh, he was was being Roger. Roger He was being Roger. That was not going to happen twice. You aren't going to hit a home run and then get back up there and and get, you know, and digging the box. I don't care who you are, blood relative or not. that, that uh, That is typical Rocket, man. I love it. Yeah, same here. So uh, cheers. Thanks for the memories, Rocket, on on that particular day to be a part of this week in baseball. And uh, we're back every week. Big time guests for O. I'm Scotty B. See you in the lounge soon. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.